We are sitting down today with punk icon, Big Jim Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on, man? How have you been? I've been all right. You know, everybody's been on the upswing, you know, reco recovering. You you obviously were there when I returned the other night, uh, which was a yep. big deal for me. Got some good stuff on the... Um, you know, on the horizon, which I'm looking forward to, and uh, some things I, I can hint at but can't talk about. Okay. And, uh, as far as wrestling goes, and uh, good things on the up and up with music. Band's working on a third album, so I'm very excited about that. That's amazing. So, yeah, man, it's just been, you know, uh, right now, the small little things that are saving, you know, that kind of saved my life in the background, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I hear you, man. So, um, we're going to kind of go all over the place literally because um you know that's just kind of kind of how it is and like i said before i'm unprepared because i just figured we'd wing it because we know each other pretty well we could probably sure. handle a good sit down for a while so first of all i guess we'll just start off with your pro wrestling what how did you get interested in pro wrestling how was it growing up um so as far as pro wrestling goes uh pro wrestling was uh my bond with my dad mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we would, uh, we would, you know, 605, you know, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, AWA, um, you know, World Class Championship Wrestling. And where we lived in Bethel, uh, Connecticut, WWF wasn't on TV in that area yet. So really? it was world class. It was, um, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling, NWA, and AWA at that point. So I like to hear that. I really do. Because, um, I always say how I know I've talked about it so much on the show that I was so excited every day at four o'clock to come home from school to catch that world class championship wrestling on ESPN. Yeah, yeah. That was like my favorite, and I actually got some AWA on in the background because that's another thing uh, I was really into uh, as a kid. Well, it was, it was weird too because like it, you know AWA was like you know it was right at the end of everybody's you know all the big guys runs before they went to the wwf so right it was like i got to see hulk hogan wrestle i think one time ever on awa and then fast forward like a year later he was like the biggest thing in, in wwf and it was like the craziest thing i've ever seen you know and what i was like into it see him on the other company like what's he doing over there because you know everything was still kayfabe then so Right, I always thought that was really weird as a as a kid from people jumping from company to company. But then, obviously, as I get older, I figured out how that territory system worked and how people were plucked from territory to territory in WWF. And, so, and then, you know, and some guys who were smart, who were like the road warriors, were like, "All right, we're getting stale. Time to move." You yeah, know what I mean? and they made a ton of money doing it. So yeah, yeah. No. So I'm surprised that you said you didn't get the WWF television up in Bethel, Connecticut. I mean, well, I'm surprised. it was weird because it was like you because they were still and they were still had their deal, I believe. With it was before they got on USA, and I think they were in between the the TV deals. Okay, so you know what I mean. So it was like it was on. I mean, I I vividly remember Black Saturday. Like I remember watching, watching Vince McMahon come out and say, "Hey, WWF is going to be showing." TV. <laughs> On Turner, like I remember that, yep. but um, I don't remember ever really catching <clears throat> WWF television in, until I was like eight or nine years old. Yeah, I think I got into it. Uh, it's all, it sounds all about 1984-ish, so it's like I think the first thing I witnessed. Um, I just remember my cousin was watching. I think 
the war to settle the score or something like that. And I just remember yeah. Piper being on TV and that was for my first wrestling experience was Roddy Piper. So I think that's pretty amazing considering like how he, uh, uh, I just realized how important he was to me and professional wrestling in general because he was like a crazy guy, you know, at that time. Period. Yeah, he was the best. Yeah, he really was. So who, as a kid, were you into? Um, I mean, obviously, my last name's Anderson. Uh, Arn was a big influence on me, big time. It's my favorite um, of all time. Argu- arguably, in my opinion, one of the greatest uh, singles wrestler to never hold mm-hmm. the world title. Um, and he only did that out of loyalty, which was uh, tremendous because they wanted to put it on him so many times. But every time they wanted to put it on him, they wanted him to take off Rick, and that just wasn't going to happen. Right. So, you know, but yeah, Arn Anderson, huge. Uh, I'm a big, big Vader mark um, from, you know, to, from the WCW, from uh, NWA, from, from, you know, New Japan. Uh, all Japan, all his. I mean, I still go back now and watch a lot of mm-hmm. those old matches. Um, I was literally just talking to my girlfriend about the riot in the Tokyo Dome after he beat Inoki, and they and and you know we were, we were watching like a short video clip, and they're like, "We're not talking." They might have thrown some stuff in the ring and uh, yelled profanities. They were like literally setting fires and pulling chairs yeah. out of the ground and throwing them, and you know and. Just like hearing, like, you know, Vader collecting belts, you know, what, what was it, like 11 belts and like. Oh, yeah, he was really up there at that time. Yeah, yeah, he was really, he was huge in Japan. And it's amazing, like, because he started in the AWA as Leon White, the baby bull, and he wasn't really doing much. And then went to Japan and just blew up as that character. Like and his God matches. Yeah, his yeah. matches with, uh, with um, Stan Hansen are freaking legendary. So, and have you ever seen him in uh, UWFI? If you uh, no, that, he took on Gary Albright in a match, and I gotta tell you, it's like a shoot wrestling um like league, and it was really freaking intense to watch. I mean, you'd see all sorts of American guys go over there and wrestle like Japanese guys, and it was just some of the stiffest stuff you'd ever see. Just so, full just full on bangers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what involved you and how did you end up getting into professional wrestling? So it's a funny, it's actually a pretty funny story. Um, so my band, uh, I was, we were doing a lot of touring and we had come home from the South by Southwest in Texas. And I was working out in a gym in Brookfield, Connecticut and same gym that, uh, Brian Anthony worked out at, Mm -hmm. uh, and Randy Sean, Jay Busta, uh, was there and I'm lifting weights and I was talking, I was talking to him about, um, you know, I was like really wanted to get into pro wrestling and, you know, days gone by and him and I had been talking back and forth and whatever. And one day I forgot what I was doing. I think I was, um, I was doing incline tosses with, uh, on an incline bench at T25, basically throwing the barbell up and catching it at a, on an incline at T25. And Randy walks by and he was like, uh, He's like, listen, I have an idea. And I, you know, and we talked a little bit. He was like, if you're willing to do a few things for me um, and get some training done, I'll, I will, I have a spot for you. We, but I, but I need you to do a few things. I said, what's that? He's like, well, first I need you to dye your hair blonde. And I was like, I kind of like looked at him over the top, you know, over the top of my glasses. I was like, what now? And he was like, I need you. He's like, I need you to dye your hair blonde. I need you to get a, uh, a button down shirt with the sleeves cut off and a hot pink tie. 
So I said, okay, uh, I think I can do all that. So I went out and I dyed my hair blonde and I had been doing some training in the interim. And, um, you know, I showed up at, at Bethany. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the first Bethany show uh, after CTW had left the building. And um, I had um, previously at the last CTWE show, I was there with Randy. I had met uh, Bull Dread and Ron Zombie. Um, I had met um, Mike Lombardi and shook his hand. And uh, at that point, I had showed up at the next show, that first NEW show uh, that was there. And uh, I got my stuff. And sure enough, you know, I ended up walking Randy out as his new bodyguard that show and that was like nine years ago and here i am yeah i do have a question about it did come across a match of yours on youtube uh oh wearing wearing that uh garb as i i did try to do a little research probably months back when we first started talking about coming you coming on so you did a job this horn swoggle (laughs) I did, in fact. Do, I worked Hornswoggle. It was, uh, it was for the Dynasty. Uh, uh, you know, great match, great show. Um, had a lot of fun. And, uh, yes, I did do a job to Hornswoggle. I wouldn't say necessarily did a job. I mean, it did cheap shot me in the nuts, which got me to fall. <laughs> down, but, uh, very memorable match. Very cool guy. Um, he... Uh, yeah, it was just after I think his release, uh, okay. and I think like, I was like his fifth or sixth match after being released from WWE. He was a he was a really good dude. Um, I, I was really surprised to see that match. I mean, for some reason, you and Orange level. because I mean, you tower over most people. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it, it, most regular sized people, I should say. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you know, and if you watch the match, it was you know, it was a lot of fun, and like I would, I would, I would do it a hundred one times. It was, it was That's a good awesome. time. Hey everyone, you want to listen to the best in pro wrestling talk? Tune in to the Top Rope Report podcast with Mr. Trivia and the Nugster Greg every Sunday, 6.30 p.m. on TalkShoe.com, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast. Join us as we discuss WWE, NXT, PAPW Independent Wrestling, and a whole lot more. It's the Top Rope Report, the best in pro wrestling talk. So who had a hand in training you? Um, so it started off, I, I was with um, with um, Jay Boston, Randy Sean, for the first, I think, two or th- two and a half years, three years. Okay. And then um, I had met someone and they had discussed with me hey, um, you know, you should really go out and talk to this other school where I go. Uh, And that person brought me out to East Haven, and I walked through the door, and there was Mario Mancini, and shortly after, followed by uh, Pretty Paul Roma. And I've been with them um, for the last six years. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, I said coming around. Go ahead. I, there, well, I, the first student there was Richard Holiday, mm-hmm. um, followed by uh, their first female student, followed by me. Okay. So, I think I first I first started coming around almost three years ago to Paradise shows. Uh, okay. I had been kind of out of wrestling for a while, and mm-hmm. uh, 
probably about two, three years after a bunch of bull crap in my life. And then um, I just so happened to run into Roma one day at a gas station. He invited me down. Basically, for the next three years, I probably missed only two shows in that next three years because it's just I came down to the show like a week or so later, whatever the next show was. And I really enjoyed myself. I think that Roma and Mario and everybody just did their best to put on a good family-friendly show. And that's what I think is very important in professional wrestling these days because in the 90s, professional wrestling changed. and There was like this whole adult-oriented era that, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily approve a lot of that stuff, but, you know. Well, I mean, you had to think, uh, you know, when you had companies that were taken off like ECW, which was taken mm-hmm. off big time at that point, and if you're not evolving, you're dying. And WCW and, and WWF just follow right on. I mean, right. listen, I will always be a Paul Heyman guy. I will never not be a Paul Heyman guy. Uh, you know, he had the balls right. to speak his mind, but no one else would. Uh, he is punk rock. He is punk rock wrestling to me as punk rock as you can get. Right. So, um, you know, and, you know, the majors just kind of had to be like, well, you know, the DIY guys are kicking our ass. So, right. Yeah, you know what I mean. So they were doing something know, different, definitely going against the grain, you know. And they were—it was just um, at that time period. I don't know how much. If do you ever go back and watch ECW, like older oh, ECW? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched Eastern Championship Wrestling stuff and kind of put yeah. my head in my hands, where I'm just like, "Wow, they were doing this!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was it that was indie wrestling in New England at that time period. That wasn't just ECW, you know. Right. That was like. Uh, wrestling in new england i'm a huge new england historian as well on top of all that stuff but um you look back at especially some of the later stuff it's uh it doesn't necessarily hold up it's that 95 to like 97 era that really was like the pinnacle for them that was just fantastic and i think that's and they hung on to that for another three or four years uh and such i mean and you know and they just got the the the, i think they really would have been a solid contender uh, mm-hmm. For the majors, had there not been so much um, power, so many power plays behind the scenes, money, yeah. uh, the money was one. Uh, they just they didn't have anybody under contract, so WCW and WWF was just cherry picking, you know, who they yeah, wanted, all the big yeah. guys. So you brought up a name that I'm very interested in because I haven't heard that name in years. Whatever happened to Jay Busta? He's still around, man. Uh, he yeah. ru- he yeah. runs a very successful gym in the Danbury area, Platinum Fitness. Okay. Okay. Um, we do talk okay, on occasion. Uh, he's doing very well for himself. I'm not. I I, I don't want to speculate as to whether or not he's still wrestling. Um, yeah. I know he's definitely uh, become more of a family man and concentrates mostly on his business, which is doing very very well. Um, right. You know, and he's evolving with the times, just like I think everybody else is. So. Um, I'm he he's in great shape still, so I I wouldn't count him out, but I'm not sure. Oh, I'd, love to see at this point. I'd love to see him back in the ring. I mean, I haven't, you know, that's a name. Like I said, he was still around when I was kind of still into wrestling, and then I, I disappeared for about three years, and then three or four years, and then once I started getting back into it, that's, that's a lot of people were gone, you know, right. at that time period, especially in northeast. Northeast is like a completely different wrestling organization than it was. And when I stopped uh, attending wrestling shows a couple years prior, it's just, it's a gig- It seems like it's a way bigger organization than it was at the time. They, they work with a lot of the bigger indies or, right. you know, ring of honor. They work and with such. Like ring of honor and such. Yeah. Chaotic. I mean, and you stuff. Know, I, 
you know, full credit, um, you know, you know, before Paradise Alley, there wouldn't be a big Jim Anderson without Jay Busta um, mm -hmm. or Stevie Stamos and or definitely not without Mike Lombardi bringing me in uh, and right. giving me and, you know, giving me my start. Uh, and then, you know, Paul Roma and Mario Mancini sort of, uh, power, you know, not sort of, they definitely like, all right, kid, time to kick it up. And they, they polished me up and, and put out, you know, put out a monster. And that was what their goal was. So, you know, right. uh, credit to all those guys for at least, you know, keep, keep me around after nine years. <laughs> so I think it was, I'm trying to get my timeline, uh, yeah. appropriate because, so last year we went through the pandemic and prior to that you were teaming up with bull dread for a little while and how did that relationship how did that tag team uh come about um we tagged together i think at the north haven fair uh and uh, there was a little bit of chemistry there but you know bulls uh connecticut legend um right and uh <laughs> he's a connecticut legend yeah. he's been around 20 years in the business he won't you know, forget to remind you. And, um, you know, he's a good dude. It just, you know, I have my own, my own mentality and my own way of wanting to do things. And, uh, and you've known me throughout the years. I'm not one to necessarily go out there and kiss babies and shake hands. You know, uh, when I right. come to that, I'm there to kick someone's ass and that's the point. So, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, Hey, I'm bull dread and I'm a, Hey, I'm going to kick your head in kind of guy. So that um, that kind of blew the team up a little bit there. So we had a falling out. Right. And then you guys ended up, uh, during the pandemic, I guess you guys had met in a last man standing match. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Um, it was a great match. Uh, we beat the crap out of each other. I think I took yes. like nine chair shots in that match. Uh, almost burned Bull's face completely off his head uh, with a with a grill. Um, almost hit him with a car. Uh, he slammed me in a door. That was pretty awful. Uh, we fought on a crane truck out in the driveway. Yep. Um, I tried to throw him in a dumpster. Um, cause that's, you know, where trash goes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, did I say that? I apologize. <laughs> and then, uh, he eventually, uh, Put me through a table for the win. Um, I mean, you know, can't take away from what the guy's done in his career and in his life. It's just, you know, we're two uh, two different kinds of people. The same Absolutely. guy gonna, I am in the ring is probably the same guy after a few, you know, take care of you out in the parking lot if you push my buttons. So I don't play tough guy. So one of the last matches I got to witness you was against Zachariah Gibbs, and you kind of annihilated him. I think that was actually... I remember correctly, it was during the pandemic, obviously, that, that dread match. So everything was closed down. And I think the Paradise Alley ran, it was that day that they ran three shows in one day. Yes, kind of, yes, 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 yes. And you kind of kicked the crap out of Gibbs. And then uh, after that, you kind of disappeared a little bit because you, you suffered from an injury, correct? Yeah. So um, I saw, I had a uh, spine, uh, I had a nagging back injury. Um, that turned out to be worse than I thought it was. Um, uh, I had uh, gone out with a friend of mine. Uh, we were going to watch the AEW pay-per-view at a friend's house. Uh, he had picked me up at my house. I was living in West Haven. 
Uh, we had gone from West Haven to Brantford. I had gotten out of the car and I said, man, I was like, my foot feels like it's asleep. And he's like, oh, maybe it was just the way you were sitting in the car. And then all night kept like tapping my foot on the floor, kept getting up to walk around. And it still wasn't like, excuse me, still wasn't waking up. Um, the, you know, three hours of pay-per-view and we hung out for a little bit, get back in the car and we start heading back home. And the feeling is now going from my foot up into my ankle. And, I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, this is really weird. I've never had anything like this before. And then uh, went home, went to bed, woke up the next day, and now my foot's my the sleep feeling that like static feeling is now up to the middle of my uh, lower leg. So now I'm like, okay, what the hell's going on? Um, this is getting really bad. Anytime I tried to put my foot down, it was uh, my foot wouldn't. I couldn't feel where my foot was touching, um, and it progressively got worse. And then I woke up Monday. You know, I didn't go to the gym. I didn't work out. Didn't do anything. Uh, woke up that Monday and now the feelings up to the middle of, uh, the middle of my knee. Um, my foot's now dragging behind me. Like there was a real issue there. Um, so I had actually tried to go to work because, you know, at that point in time, I just couldn't miss, you know, any work and, um, the, whatever was going on with my leg, I was actually up, uh, up on a roof and I had lost my footing while I was up on a roof and almost went off the side. So, um, we got me back downstairs. I got in the truck, went back home, and I had a, a friend of mine drive me to the emergency room. And uh, I found out that I had something in my foot called drop foot. They had originally started treating me for a stroke. So I was in there, and they were, like, touching my face. They're asking me to spell my name. They're asking me, like, you know, I'm like, listen, I don't know what the hell is going on here. But, like, you know, I'm in, I'm in here because my foot and my leg are messed up. My back hurts. Like, what's going on? And uh, once they realized I did, that I wasn't having a stroke, um, they told me that there was a, a possible spine injury and they needed to move me from Milford Hospital to St. Raphael's, uh, at which point they found out that I had compressed my L5 and S1 on a cluster of nerves, which was actually shutting down the function to my right leg. Oh, so I had to have uh, the surgery took about eight hours. Um, they went in, they removed the nerves out and fused my, uh, L5 S1. And I was out for about six months, uh, doing a lot of rehab and, um, you know, you know, just dealing with, you know, I was on a walker. I was, it was just a crazy surgery, you know, uh, I had trouble walking for the, for the first few months. Um, just went through uh, a lot of stuff, uh, life-wise because it's one of those things where just, you know, it started a chain reaction of things, you know, I couldn't work my regular job. Obviously I couldn't wrestle. Um, you know, uh, you know, I ended up losing the apartment that I was living in. Um, but at the same time, uh, it gave me time to, uh, I ended up, you know, moving in with my mom and being able to help my mom out with some stuff while I was getting healthy and it ended up being, um, really good for my personal mental health. Um, and, uh, you know, just really let me reevaluate, reevaluate my life as it is and sort of put some things into perspective. So in a way it was, it sucked that I needed the surgery, but in a way it was great because it gave me some time to take stock of the things that I needed to take stock of. Right. So when was that surgery? 
Uh, November 13th of 2020. So right in the so middle of the November. pandemic. November. So it's what? I've been almost six months now. Or seven. Roughly seven months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Life and we're gonna take it, gonna make 
still not back in the ring, really, but you've been focusing on music still, too. Or yeah, starting yeah. to well, focus I, on. You know, I made, my, re- I made uh, my return. I have been working out with Paradise Alley, getting myself okay. ready, um, bumping and doing the things that I need to do for that. But, you know, also in the meantime, um, yeah, uh, my band got back together through COVID. Uh, figured, you know, it's the time, you know, we have plenty of time to write a good record. Uh, we have our, I think our last release was in like 2016. So, um, you know, every once in a while, if you follow me on social media, you'll see me post our, one of our old videos or some live stuff, you know, um, you know, just, uh, kind of like, Hey, we're still, we're still here. We're still kicking. Um, so we've been recording our demos over the last few months, which have been great. Uh, we're about five songs in on a new record as, as we speak. Uh, it's been coming along a lot more organically than we ever expected. And we're really excited. I'm very excited. It'll be nice to get back out and play some shows. I can't wait to go to a show, to be honest with you. <laughs> like the only shows that have actually been taking place in the state of Connecticut have been like wrestling shows. Like, well, I mean, music is slowly starting. Yeah. Uh, but it's like nothing that I want to see, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really picky, you know. There hasn't been the... Rick, he just did the um, did all the the computer systems for mm-hmm. the Westville Bowl. Yeah, there's so, nothing there. Right, which has been doing like a lot of jam band stuff. Yeah, so, you know, stuff? I'm too old for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, we're excited. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, we probably won't be doing much until either the you know the the fall or winter of this year, as yeah. we're still trying to figure out what we're doing. But um, we're coming up on the ten year anniversary of our second album, which we're hoping at that point our third album will be ready. So you know, on the anniversary of the second, we're going to put out the third. So. Before we continue with that, I just want to ask you because you just mentioned you're working out with uh, Paradise Alley and pumping and stuff. How is that going? Like, is it taking a toll on your body still, or are you you're able to do that without uh, too much craziness? Like, it affecting I, I, you too much? A, as of right now, I mean, listen, uh, the the injury that I have, that I ha- I've managed to come back from a lot. Tore my ACL, my meniscus, that put me out for a year, um, and I managed to come back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've had uh, this is my second surgery on my spine. Um, the first one was my second year with NEW. I had uh, um, I had to have a disc removed, um, oh, non wrestling related uh, thing, mm-hmm. and um, you know I came back in six months and uh, turned my whole career around. Uh, so I plan on doing the same again. Um, it's just now it, you know you got to take time and reevaluate. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Uh, <laughs> CM Punk said in one of his inter- interviews he's getting a little long in the tooth. Him and I are both the same age. So, um, and I'm obviously much bigger than he is. So, um, you know, it's just now reevaluating, you know, what you can and what you can't do and, um, and how bad do I want it is really, you know, where it's so, and I, you know me, man, I'm, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) You're not going to stop. I know that. Yeah. So tell me now that we're talking about. The uh, Two Fisted Law is the band, by the way. Yep. How did you discover punk rock? Like, what was your first experience into into that kind of stuff? Okay, th- this is also another funny story. So, uh, I was a little bit of a little bit of 
a nerd in my day. Um, much smaller, um, much smaller guy back then. I uh, played a lot of soccer and a lot of D and D, and you know it was Led Zeppelin and the Doors. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was getting into like Iron Maiden and bands like that, and right. I love Iron Maiden to this day. Uh, but one day, my friend Matt Kabinsky, uh, we were hanging out um, in, with some friends in New Fairfield while I was at my dad's for the weekend. And he had given me, or had played me, my first Misfits 7-inch. And okay. uh, I try to, I can't remember what was on it at that point, but I, I had him tape everything from the Misfits that he had at that point. Right. And that's pretty much what started me down my path of discovering you know different bands because every week i'd go you know every weekend i'd be at my dad's he'd give me something new to listen to and then i started hanging out with people at school and in high school that were more into punk rock so it was like you know now i'm getting like you know old no effects and bad religion who is still to this day one of my all-time favorite bands um you know They're the misfit cast yeah bad yeah. religion still could they, the albums that they put out are still top quality like they don't I, they they never suck you know i agree they i don't and think they're they put very out intelligent album. they're very intelligent guys as well like the the, yeah. the the content and their lyrics are just uh it makes you think about the world and in society and religion all that stuff it was the first band that i ever listened to as a kid where i had to grab a dictionary and be like what does like <laughs> Wasn't that uh, what's isn't what's his name a professor the singer? Yes, like, uh, <laughs> Greg Catherine, has, has yeah, PhD in zoology, right? So, yeah, right. So, you know, what I mean, so but yeah, it was just like you know, I'm I'm like listening to the album. I'm like, all right, what's that word? And I'm like scrolling through the dictionary and like, you know, trying to figure out what the hell he's saying. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I was very blessed to have some good people around me as far as music goes and. I started singing in my first band when I was like 13 because I was terrible at playing instruments. So yeah. uh, instead of being terrible at playing instruments, I was terrible at singing. And But it worked because it was a punk band, so it didn't have to be great at that point. <laughs> so what's um with the Misfits? That's probably one of the earliest bands I've also discovered for that genre. I just remember the very first being the Ramones, they were actually performing on public access TV. And I was okay. just like, kind of like, I was like, really like, what the hell is this? Right. You know, that kind of a thing. And my mom just so happened to walk in the living room and my mom knew who they were. She was not like a punk rock fan. She was like in the Sinatra and fucking yeah, all that uh, stuff. stuff like that. Yeah. Like a crooner <laughs> stuff like, and, or like, um, I don't know, just whatever Beatles and stuff like that, you know, pop music. So she knew who they were because, you know, they were, probably the most popular punk rock band, you know, in the United States, you know, at that time period. But right. so the thing is, we go to the video store probably the following Friday and she rents me rock and roll high school. And literally that whole movie and that public access experience changed my entire life. And so that, that um, like it changed the way I listened to music and the way I looked at music period, period. And it just changed. So I was like so uh, excited. And I went out and bought every Ramones record after that. I, I mean, they, and then that's another band you could always count on them. They always stuck to the formula, uh, yep. never varied. You know, you were going to get, um, you know, uh, 35 minutes of 
one, two, three, four, and right, just get punched in the right. face. You know, with the greatest whatever, rock and roll. Whatever man. stuff Dini Ramon was writing at that point. So, do you realize that uh, in that movie, uh, it actually wasn't supposed to be the Ramones that were playing the band in the movie? It was supposed to be Cheap Trick. Really? So, so that would have been a whole different movie if they were in the movie. I agree. <laughs> Nothing I'm not. Like, I'm, Trick. I think Cheap Trick is great. They're one of my you favorite know, bands of all time. Definitely, yeah. definitely not. Not the so, Ramones. <laughs> it would have looked. It would just would have been a whole different movie. <laughs> I completely agree. And then junior high, I got into things like the Misfits because of other kids. I always used to see them, you know, because uh, Danzig was, I think, you know, probably in. Um, I think Danzig was formed at that time period, so it's like he was into the metal scene at that time with that first record that he did. Yeah, yeah, because I think when they split up in like eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, and then he did Sam Hain. For, for a number of years. Um, I got to meet Jerry in the earlier 90s, and he was, uh, this is, you know, before they reformed the band by like two, three years. It was actually, at that time, he was very humble and very cool. It wasn't he until they is. reformed. <sighs> Have you ever played with them? Uh, 11 times. <laughs> 11 times. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> you know, I've always met him. I usually kind of go out of my way to make sure that I at least meet him, say hello at, the shows, uh, having right. signed something. Um, but the first few times, you know, I thought he was really cool. I mean, he was always cool, but it just seemed like he, his head swelled up quite a bit after that. Uh, right. So I don't know if it's just like, you know, the popularity of the band like got to him, yeah. but I mean, I'm not saying it bad, you know I mean? It just comes along with, with what you're doing. So, I mean, I, I've had the privilege of opening for three different incarnations uh, of the Misfits, um, I I opened for them when when Michael was in the band, mm -hmm. um, a guy who we all know kind of flipped off the <laughs> Republican deep end, but we're not going <laughs> to politicize. What's oh, going on? yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> still proud of all that all that music. Um, we opened for for the Misfits when it was Des. Marky Ramon and Jerry. I've seen that lineup as well. Um, and then the most recent, the re most recent Two Fisted Law is open for the most recent, I think, seven times. Uh, over prior, prior yeah. to the, prior to Danzig rejoining the group. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I mean, we were there. We when they were doing the Devil's Rain album, we were on one of the, one of the okay. um, shows for Devil's Rain. So. so we'll, you probably, I'm assuming, because I know they were doing New Haven quite a bit. Basically, they'd always play New Haven around Halloween time. Yeah. Um, did, and then they would, uh, then somehow it went from New Haven to Hartford. So did you end we up in the Hartford the shows? The Webster shows? Oh, Poughkeepsie? Oh, oh, oh the that. Chance. Yeah, the Chance okay. out Poughkeepsie. Oh, that's a place I have not heard of in years. Like, it's been a while. They just so. sold, which is like... Um, somebody bought it. I don't know. Hopefully, they're going to reopen it as a music venue. But last we heard, they were selling that. That's crazy. Um, yeah, and it's just you know, I mean, you know as well as I do, you know, it, the scene is just so much different now. You know, all the places that we grew up going to are now closing down and becoming like you know memorabilia. You know, like these little museums. It's, yeah, they're memories. You know, because it's like I can't tell you the last time I was at Toad's place. Actually, I. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh, just, what, three, four years ago, I went to see The Descendants there. And prior to that, I hadn't been there since the Niggy Pop show, which wow. was probably 15 years prior to that because it's just like 
ever since the casinos opened in Connecticut, right. nothing it drew all the concerts away from New Haven and brought everything right. up there. So any great band that you want to see it, like you know Toad's Place, just it's. And then when I went in there for that Descendant show, they had changed the place around so much it was like a completely different venue inside. So because uh, they're trying to keep up with the times, they're trying to evolve, and I get that, but. Same time, yeah. man. Like, you know, I, you know, I, this pandemic killed a lot of great shows that were coming around. There were a lot of bands that were getting back together. Um, yeah. I mean, you and I, you and I both share a common love for the Descendants, and mm -hmm. seeing them put out, you know, new music, which has been fantastic. Um, I just heard. Uh, I, I think I messaged you the other day. They put out a song um, uh, for their new album. Like, I think it's called Ninth and Ninth and Walnut. Uh, and that's, it's, it's phenomenal. I actually did a little research on that. Now, that's supposed to be an album up, that was recorded prior to Milo Goes to College. Oh, it's really? Supposed to be, it's the original lineup. Not to mention, they're also working on newer material. There was like a new EP that came out as well. So I'm just like, these guys, are, they're taking advantage of this time and just pushing out material. And it's like, they just what um, I got the Milo EP, the Rebuke right. EP, so, which I think which is, is phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It's just him and the ukulele. And then they recorded, yeah. they also recorded those songs as well. And just, um, so they've got that album coming out on top of the earlier album coming out. So they basically have two albums coming out. And I'm just like, I'm really excited because I feel like, yeah, I'm ready for it. Man. <sighs> I've seen the Descendants every tour that they, every, every tour they've come to the Northeast since uh, 1996, was it? When Everything Sucks comes out. Yeah, yeah. And on that tour, I seen them. I saw them five times. Uh, every time they hit, like uh, between New York, Massachusetts, and they played one show in Connecticut. They played at the LNG, if you remember that place. Yeah, I played there a few times. Yeah, that place was a great, great venue. Um, apparently, they kept they were around for a lot longer than I I thought of. I just never heard of any shows that happened there. I think uh, the last show I might have gone to there was either Social Distortion or Sheer Terror. I can't remember. Wow. I can't remember. Both of so phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, I remember we played there uh, for the Upstart Festival, which is run by our record label. Um, and, you know, that basically consisted of uh, one major headliner and a bunch of up-and-comers on that label at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we played there with the Coffin Cats. We played there with the Turbo ACs. Oh, the Coffin Cats. They played yeah. Cafe Nine. They played Cafe Nine. They're like a Psycho Billy band, right? Yep. They yep. played Cafe Nine like... Five six years ago, and I went and those guys are ripped, dude. Those guys yeah. are great, phenomenal. Yeah. And they're like their yeah. singer is like this tiny little guy, but he gets up on his bass and starts doing crazy. <laughs> yeah, and you're they're just sick, like, oh, man. My God, what are you doing, man? Yeah, those guys but, are sick. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, and you know, uh, I think the last show, even Cafe Nine, I think the last show I saw there was uh, the Queers. Um, the fantastic plastics, and then my 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 guitar player did a solo project there, and he opened, and it was phenomenal. It was a really good show. So I miss all that. I miss all those, you know, all those shows, all those those amazing that energy. Right. You know, Cafe Nine is definitely my favorite. It has become my favorite music venue. It really has in like the last I don't know two decades. Because ever since, like, you know, the tune-in closed, there was nothing here for a number of years. There literally right. was nothing. So probably a few years after that, that's when Paul and company decided to start booking shows. 
he'd bring in. Like I've seen Grant Hart there from Husker Du. You know, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I've seen the queers there a bunch of times. CJ Ramon, uh, Richie Ramon. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on of the list. I mean, that's such an awesome venue and great place. So I'm looking forward to that music to be like uh, back. And Agent Orange is coming up in October. So that's just. Yeah, yeah. Right uh, I'm, I'm, I think I may join you in going to see that show. Yeah. is going to be a crazy month because there's a, a our, our drummer is getting married and we're, oh, we have okay. to go to texas for that so as soon exactly. as i verify the actual date and assure and he assures us his wedding's actually going to happen <laughs> <laughs> we'll make that decision dude I, I i love venues like cafe nine i can't tell you like you know I've, i'm like a huge music nerd and record nerd i've been collecting records since like my first obsession was like elvis records i had since i was a kid so it's like I get to see, like, so I'm like a huge rockabilly fan on top of that because of right. the earliest records. And it's like I've got to see great artists like Robert Gordon at Cafe Nine. And that's what's so special about Cafe Nine is that they'll bring this like obscure guy like Robert Gordon into town for a show. And they only fit 90 people in there, but they'll pack the place and, and it'll just be 
uh, it'll just be like the most electric thing in that in that building. The only other place I could ever compare that to is uh, there was a place in Danbury, Connecticut, uh, that was a special home, especially the Two Fisted Law, called Cousin Larry's. Okay. Uh, Cousin Larry's was like the CBGBs of Danbury, and you would get some bands that like, you know. Uh, a band I was in called Rivers End opened for a band called A Day to Remember on their... I remember first. them. They were like a pop group, right? Or like they're, an emo... They're like, a, like one of those like emo punk, me- uh, punk metal yeah. kind of... Yeah, yeah. So they were touring for their Her Name is Treason album. Literally two weeks later, they were like the biggest thing in the country. Like just blowing out album after album after album. They were everywhere. And That's I was awesome. like, holy crap, like I opened for those guys... But, um, I mean, just Cousin Larry's was turning out so many cool bands that were from the Danbury area, but bringing bands in from New York, and you'd get bands traveling in from Michigan, and bands over from upstate New York and Maine, yep. and like, they were bringing everybody in from everywhere, and um, and it was great, because the place was, you, you would never not find good music in that place at any point. Um, we were always in there, we were always checking out what was going on, and and. And Cafe Nine gives that same appeal where they'll bring in a bunch of different bands that you never heard of before, throw them on a bill, and see what sticks. And that's great. Yeah. There, there needs to be more of that. There's just you know, right? You know, New Haven. Just, New Haven really died with like the death of, of the tune-in. You know, and what, was that 2001 or maybe 2002? So. Yeah, and I remember because I was underage, so <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely. In the 90s, I remember the first time I went there, I was like 16, 17 years old. I just remember ever since then, I was at every show for like right. the weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday is when they book shows. And the Sunday shows were always matinees. So they'd start at like 2, 3 in the afternoon. And, you know, and it just, you'd be home by like 6 or 7. So, it was, you know, it would just, there was something special about New Haven at that time period. Not to mention the Rudies, the older Rudies, not the current version. They would always have bands at night, probably Tuesday, Thursday, whatever. And that was just like, it was a phenomenal time for New Haven. And then, you know, Yale would always have like random bands. So it, is, it was just awesome. Well, I mean, now it's like, I think there's three sheets that old shows every now that and was again. yeah that was the old rudy's now before oh, rudy's that's moved, what it was? before they moved to chapel street yeah that was the actual building now i've gone to three sheets a couple times uh my friend uh sean is in that band murder van if you you're familiar with them yeah, yep, yep, yep. yeah so i've gone down there to see him a couple times it's just that does not have the same feel that like the old rudy's used to have i feel like i'm going to like tji fridays or something like with that place like <laughs> <laughs> to see a band and and this right. and you know it's just like and if you're not like a regular and they don't know you it's like i feel like I, they, they give the wrong vibe when you're trying to order a beer you're or something. Get the side eye and you're just like yeah like, yeah so i can enjoy the band i came to see yeah and they got overcharged for a pbr five dollars for a pbr that's just that's just crazy right there one our urine in a can cheap sir yeah <laughs> i mean i could get a, a shot of pbr and a shot for the same price at Cafe Nut. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. They do. They always have that cool drink special. It may not be the yeah. best shot in the world, but it'd be a shot. Hey, uh, I'm just getting <laughs> some whiskey. You know, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. it's, you're speaking my language, bud. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now that I got you on that subject, what's your favorite whiskey? I'm a Jameson guy. Uh, 
I've I've always been a I've been a Jameson guy. We always used to have this uh, this philosophy. We would drink the really really cheap beer, the High Life, the PBR. Uh, when we were on tour down in Texas, Lone Star. Yeah. Lone Star was dude. Nice. I love Lone Star. We used to get it up here, and I, we don't have it anymore. That and like Rheingold, but it was like old man beer when we were kids. But you can't yeah, find yeah, it yeah. anymore. It like disappeared. <laughs> and like, remember the keg barrels? Like you get like the keg little, oh, yeah. like, like a brown bottle that looked like a keg. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, our theory was if you drank the cheap, the cheap beer, you had space to drink the good whiskey. <laughs> and, that's just that was our philosophy, but uh, Jameson. But I'll take like the powers. Uh, as I've gotten older now, I'm starting to get into bourbon, which is like you know, now I know I'm like really like headed for the rocking chair when I'm like, I want to sniff your bourbon and uh, yeah. sit by, sit by and watch old wrestling tapes. That's so. funny, that's funny because it's like I do the same thing, especially when I'm down here recording the podcast, I always have something old. In the background, something from the seventies or eighties. I'm always drinking something, and I can't touch whiskey too often anymore. <laughs> but because um, <laughs> it ends up being very dangerous if I'm recording something. But I actually had for the first time in many years. I used to drink it all the time, but we went to a birthday party, me and my wife, and Maker's Mark. I was like, that was so strong. Between that and then, I upped it for the next one. It was Knob Creek? If you've ever had that, yeah, yeah. That stuff old, is the best. Book goodies, man. Yeah, and they kick your ass too. On top of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny because like, you know, it doesn't take much these days because I, you know, I don't I definitely don't drink mm -hmm. the way I used to, and uh, so it'll be one of those things where I'll, you know, I'll be out with friends or I'll be out with my girlfriend, right. and three drinks in, and she'll look at me and I'll have this goofy smile on my face. <laughs> She's like, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> I definitely can't like I used to, uh, you know, this pandemic though, um, last summer when we were locked inside, yeah. literally that's all I did was beer and whiskey and doing shots of vodka, you know? <laughs> so it's like, since it got colder, the fall and winter, I was just like, I can't do it. Like I, I, I just kind of, and I'm trying to drop, drop, get rid of this belly here. So I've really stopped drinking beer. This is the first beer I've had in a few Probably two months. So, so I hear you, man. It's it's you know I, I again when we were younger the weight would come right off didn't matter you know you just skip a meal and suddenly you lost fifteen pounds now it's go. like now it's like dragging a ball and chain around like what what just happened to me oh yeah so. man in the <laughs> pandemic I gained forty pounds from sitting at home working which is just it's, it hasn't been fun so like I need to gain anymore. <laughs> Tell I went, me what's in uh, I went uh, I was when I went into surgery I was 290 pounds and I was like looking fit and trim and I was happy and then after surgery I was 330 pounds and I was like ah what happened I'm feeling it dude <laughs> like I, I'm there with you like I get it <laughs> so I should probably force and you know I got to be very thankful to dread actually he texts me probably several times a week, making sure that I'm actually keeping up with my diet and checking in and, and trying stuff. Because, you know, it's like I asked him advice probably, I don't know, a couple months ago because I noticed he dropped a shit ton of weight in the in the last, like, few, what, in the last year? And yeah, I like saw him at a show, 
you know, and basically I just asked him, I said, Hey, what did you do? And then he, had, he told me basically right. what he did. You know, he fasted for part of the day. So if he's going to drink, he drinks something like whiskey, you know, doesn't need anything fattening. And then he said, <laughs> I just remember wrapping up the conversation. I'm going to be texting you just to make sure you're doing all right and make sure you're keeping up with it. And the, and the fact is that he does. And I feel good about that because it's like, I've been, I need somebody to push me to do it. If not, I'm going to be sitting here eating cupcakes and all this other shit. Cause I kind of, <laughs> I'll get bored, you, right. you know? <laughs> so, so tell me you made, you did make a comeback, right? Yeah. I think you joined in. Well, slightly joined in, jumped in the ring to help out Lucas chase. Correct. Yes. Tell me how that came about. I'm kind well, of interested. I think this kid's got a bright future in professional wrestling, by the way. Yeah. He, I know first, talk- off, first off, let's give him a little shout out because right now he's down at the Rhodes Academy uh, in Austin, amazing. Texas. That's amazing. Training with Austin Rhodes. So um, I took him uh, took him down. We left um, two weeks ago Monday. Him and I drove down. Uh, we stopped uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, and put up a picture of the legendary Norfolk scope, which is a big yep. deal for me. Me and you as old WCW, NWA guys, that was a huge deal. Um, stayed overnight there, went from Norfolk to Nashville. Uh, you saw we posted up some pictures of the Parthenon down there. Uh, yep. Walked around Music City for a little bit, which was great. Um, and then uh, went from there to Austin. Um, you know, we didn't get enough time in Austin for me to get a ton of pictures. I was literally on a plane uh, the next the next day, pretty much, uh, and on our way back. Uh, came back the following Friday, got my luggage back the following Monday. <laughs> oh, oh, long story. But, um, no, uh, it was uh, a chance pairing. Is, uh, Lucas spent a lot of time with me when I was out uh, with surgery. Um, you know, he would come by. We'd watch wrestling for a few hours, chat. He'd see how I was doing. Um, you know, just check if I needed anything. He'd bring me food. Um, you know, he was just there and, uh, you know, uh, he's been a good friend, a a very good source. Um, uh, not that many people know, uh, I suffer from bipolar disorder. Uh, I've been on and off medication for a good part of my life. And he was just one of those people that was there when I was hitting low points, um, during surgery, not discounting my wonderful girlfriend who is sitting next to me and make sure I give her props or she'll stab me later. Um, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, Lucas is uh, is a great, good creative mind, uh, obviously the owner of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Um, so he's got a great mind for the business. Okay. Um, and he, um, he is a sponge for wrestling knowledge uh, and a great larger-than-life personality. Um, you know, he is the Ric Flair to my Art Anderson. He's been my a great friend to me, you know, for since we've met each other, it's been go, go, go. And uh, when they gave me the opportunity to back him up, I couldn't think of anything or any person better uh, to back up for PAPW than him. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just two friends that are lucky enough to be the same kind of asshole uh, that <laughs> just wants to, uh, you know, fight and win and hunt for gold the best we can and uh just like garn when he goes for a belt i'll be there to back him up and that that's just how it's going to be um 
So yeah, I've been very blessed to have him in my life. That's amazing. Well, one thing I've noticed about him, he has a very old school persona, right from his ring jacket to the references he makes in the ring. So when he's yelling and in, into yelling at the crowd or whatever, he has a very old school persona, and he keeps kayfabe. That's the other thing. Nobody keeps kayfabe anymore, and he kept it with a guy that was getting in his face one day. Probably two, not the last show, the show before that, some guy was getting in his face, and I thought this was amazing that he kept it. And I even went up to him and said, you're awesome for keeping kayfabe. Well, this guy, this fan that uh, thought that he was going too far with his character. I don't know if he ever mentioned that or not. Uh, probably not, I, I, but I'm sure I, well, maybe he did on the ride. I think I actually remember him talking right. about it on the ride now. It was hilarious. Like, <laughs> it was, I mean, it you was know hilarious. Too. I, and and it, it's the old school mentality that's lost these days. And mm-hmm. it's not taken away from uh, from anybody that I've worked with. But you'll see a lot of times two guys that are feuding. And then the next thing you know, they're posting pictures at, at the Denny's you know, a few hours after the matches, which drives me utterly insane. I agree with you. Growing up as an old school fan, you know, I've, I've watched wrestling almost 40 years. You know what I mean? Right. About, about to turn 46 in a few months. And the fact is that people go to social media and they use their their shoot name and their, right. their Twitter their Twitter handle. That drives me bonkers because it's like... And then they're sitting there, like you said, taking pictures with the person that they were just in the ring with against. Right. So, and I just don't get that. I just don't get like there's no believability in the in the sport of professional wrestling these days. Well, and I and, and I would be a hypocrite if I didn't tell you I didn't make the same mistake, you know, a few years back. You know, I had a I had a, a hefty, hefty brawl with Wrecking Ball Ligurski. And um, you know, you know, if if you've ever watched Wrecking Ball Ligurski wrestle, mm-hmm. I will attest to you and anybody else that's worked him, it's like getting into a street fight. Like you just, you know, and uh, I had posted some pictures because he had he had open hand chopped my chest like five or six times in the match to the point where I re- literally thought my my um, my rib cage and my spine high fived at one point. Right. And uh, it was pretty. He's just unbelievable. And um, and I posted a picture and and you know to to their uh, to their credibility, you know, Roma and Mancini were like, take that down. It doesn't make any sense for you. You just got into a huge war with this guy. Why are you posting that? Right. Those two are very old school. And yeah. Roma is very, very old school uh, to this day. I think that he's still, you know, if it wasn't for the modern society and professional wrestling, the society part of professional wrestling, but he would keep kayfabe 100% of the time. Oh, I don't you know times. what I mean? Because, I, I mean, yeah. Listen, you know, if you come to the school, you are going to get trained old school. It's just how it works. I believe it. Uh, you know, you know, Mario it. Mancini will run you through drills until he's until he's done with you, and then, you know, you move on to Paul, and you know, Paul is no nonsense. Um, you know, he has a certain expectation of the people that come out of Paradise Alley, and I'm, you know, just very privileged to come out of that system. But I mean, look what look at the guys he's putting out right now. You, you know, you have Richard Holiday, who mm-hmm. God, you know, God bless the kid. You know, what is is national TV. Yeah, every week years on national. national TV. You know what I mean? You know, you know, and you you just you just watch the you know the different people, the different personalities. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's a blessing now because you still you you have guys that have been working for Paul for so long that have taken leadership roles like Marcel Williams, um, mm-hmm. who is an un, who is an unbelievable performer, but has no problem standing back and giving you advice on how to do things right. And he, and you know, and and it's it's incredible to see him there. You have the House of Pain, who are the most old school tag team in and out of the ring. Um, you know, great, right. great workers, great, you know, great workers, great personalities. And, and guys. Yeah. they're doing and another team that you've seen all over the United States just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, big ups to got, you know, to those guys, you know, and then you got the up and comers like Kylon King, who is great. really yep. something great. And um, I believe he May 29th. It'll be Kylon King versus Leo Rush at XWA. Yep. Which is going to be something to behold, you know, and a huge test for him that I know he's going to accept and go beyond, way beyond what everybody expects. Um, you know, you got the Haven and and Flash Waller who are up and coming and doing very well for themselves. I mean, the school is turning out uh, some pretty amazing workers, and I'm just very, very proud to be part of that system. Again, for them to, you know, I've definitely put put that school through some ups and downs, and they've stuck by me, so I'm I'm very privileged. That's amazing. 
the, the you know all those guys you mentioned all have really bright futures. Kylon King, Flash Waller, you know those guys are going to go far in the business. I feel you know what I mean. I mean, I just feel like it, that that Leo Rush match right there just kind of speaks for it. You know what I mean? In the XWA, I think it's going to be a good match. I wish I, mean, I could attend that. I mean, I'd look forward. I, I want to see that. Have fight TV. Yeah. Yeah, if I can't attend it, I mean, I think it's only like an hour away from me. Uh, that right? I mean, how is that about right? The XWA the building, I think, is about it's it's like ninety minutes, I think, from the school. Oh, okay, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, but it, I I know for a fact it'll be on Fight TV, so I'm looking forward to watching that. So uh, I, you know, it it's just uh, you know, again, you, you know, these kids are living, breathing, and eating mm-hmm. wrestling now and it's right it's just nice to see like them embrace the knowledge that's being pushed on them and then you know learning and, and feeding off every little little bit that they can get from anybody else so you're 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 gonna see some good things from those young kids and i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to them in the future so why don't you tell me what's in store for big jim <laughs> um well there's some things on the horizon <laughs> Um, definitely, uh, some things I, I, I can hint at, um, you know, uh, uh, this upcoming weekend, but can't, I'll leave you to speculate about what's going on this upcoming weekend. Um, but you will see something brand new and very big. And I'm not just talking about myself. Um, and, uh, so Rhode Island better take notice. Um, as far as anything goes, we're going to see how the body holds up. Um, my my heart is willing. My heart and my brain are willing. It's just making sure that the body's on board. So, um, and I've heard you've heard it a million times from every retirement speech ever. If I can't be a hundred percent, if I can't be Big Jim Anderson, if I can't be that guy, I want to do it. So uh, I'm hoping. Uh, that this this event upcoming will um, you know prove that I can still go and and really push forward the fact that you know I'm going to make this year as phenomenal as it can be and we'll see where it takes me after that. What about the music career on top of the wrestling? Uh, I mean, I was full, we were basically full time doing shows. When I first broke into wrestling, um, I, uh, you know, obviously, you know, now we've gone from discussing, man, I can't wait to see what bar we're going to drink at tonight to, hey, man, I just refied my house. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, you just kind of look, like, what did you just say to me? Uh, but um, no, obviously, you know, you get older and, and things are going to be different. Um we're gonna we're gonna see where these um, where the album takes us. Uh, I would hopefully like to make sure that we get out and play some shows as soon as possible, as long as we're ready to go. Um, and uh, you know, we're very lucky. Uh, I think our record label is still willing to to deal with us, and we'll put out so Altercation Records will be helping us out as far as I know. And um, you know, uh, right now, if I do say my soul myself. Uh, it's some of the best stuff we've written in a very long time since our second record, uh, second and third record, and and um, 
you know, we're really coming along and it's, it's, it's phenomenal, man. And, and these are, you know, Dave, Kyle and Ricky, you know, you, when you're in a band with, I've been in, in a band with them now, this will be 13 years, almost 14 years. That's a marriage. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had, yeah, I've been in, in a, <laughs> been in a relationship with four men longer than any woman in my life <laughs> sounds really awkward but it's true um but yeah i mean you know i've been very lucky uh to have them still tolerate me after all this time because i've definitely been a fucker over the years and put people through a lot of stuff so it goes to the heart and and credit to those gentlemen who still want to be like hey jim like we need your voice on this or it's not going to be right and um, just like I, I can't imagine playing with any other band right now, it's the the best group of guys I've ever worked with, and I don't want I don't ever want that to change. What about uh, is there anything that you want to plug social media wise? Uh, I mean, you can find me on Instagram at uh, I hate to say it, I don't have a wrestler page yet. Uh, <laughs> at uh, my Jim underscore Perella. It's a big jam Anderson. Oh, Jim Perella, J-Y-M, all lowercase Jim Perella. Um, uh, one one sentence. Um, I have a movie on Amazon Prime right now called Completely Normal. You can get it for $1.99. Check it out. I have a speaking okay. role in it. I'm going to be in a new movie uh, that I actually will be filming parts for on the 23rd um, okay. as as the bartender. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's yeah um so that should be pretty cool uh like i said the band's working on new stuff we will be doing some acoustic sets soon uh, i'm not sure when that will start i have to talk to the guys and see how we're going to work that out uh until we can get full band practice because um you know our, we're we're recording in a very odd way right now so gotcha um, so i'll give you more information of that you know kayfabe on that but uh but and other than that, just uh, keep your eyes open. I will be wrestling for more companies this year. Um, I'm going to put the most forward, the best foot forward that I can. And, um, you know, this is going to be a, a good year. You know what I mean? I have Pro Wrestling Tees backslash Jim Anderson. I have a bunch of new shirts out, um, all designed by Dave Cole, um, who is an amazing, amazing wrestler and artist. The wrestler. Okay. The wrestler. Uh, is he, does he still wrestle? He just came back two weeks ago. Okay. I remember no, him two or three weeks ago. Years ago. I yeah, remember him. He's and he, still amazing. He came out of the NAWA school. Is this correct? The uh, uh, New Alliance. Oh, crap. I'm trying to remember the name of the school. It was an older gentleman named Fred, I think, that ran the school, if I remember correctly. I didn't have to talk to him and find out, but he. I, I'm, trying, I I'm going back years, so I, my memory yeah, might yeah. not be all that. Well, I remember I, I had met him through Jay Basta and um, yes, and who came from the same school that I'm thinking of. I just can't remember yeah, the name of it. Quite possibly. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the band we uh, another plug for another wrestling company, Interspecies Wrestling ISW. Um, we were their house band for a few years, um, so that's how I got my first little foray into wrestling was because I choke slammed Dan Barry during one of his matches. Um. I got some of their Blu-rays. I'm gonna have to see if they're if you're. Yeah, on any, any of the ones that were in Danbury at the Empress Ballroom, we were the we were the band on I'm stage. I'm gonna look now. And uh, yeah, so that would be us. That's how I got my first foray. That's how I met Eddie Kingston. 
the amazing Chris Dickinson, Dave Cole, uh, Frankie Arion, um, Pinky Sanchez, like all those great wrestlers, um, yeah. Jaka, you know, all of Team Pazuzu, um, you know, Santana and Ortiz, both of those guys I met before they went to AEW. Um, yeah, just, you know, an amazing company. Um, so check them out, dude. Like, such good stuff. You said you already have some of their stuff. I have like three Blu-rays, I think. Three or four of their Blu-rays, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if it's any of the ones from the Empress Ballroom in Danbury, um, we played the intermissions for all those shows. I'm definitely so. going to look now because I don't even remember, to be honest. It's been yeah. a while. So, all right, Jim. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Hey, man, it's great. I'm, I really, I'm really glad you had me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. No problem, brother.